Sometime last week, stagehands Jacques and Francois had this conversation in the backstage lounge. I didn't even tell you about this. Yeah. I caught that janitor kid backstage. What, the kid that was banned? Yeah, the one that was banned during the show. He's backstage. I'm, I'm out for a cigarette. I see him standing well, how does, there. How will he get back in? Well, that's the thing. I don't yeah, know. Security, so, right? Hey, hey, hey. Yeah. Us, right? I mean, yeah. so I'm about to throw him out. Right. You know what I'm saying? He's like, if you let me stay, I'll tell you where, where Mr. Cameron gets the acts from. <laughs> First of all, he's full of shit. Can you believe and, that? And that? And that was a horrible, that was a horrible hey, impression. That's exactly what he sounds yeah, 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 like. Exactly. That is exactly yeah. what he sounds yeah, yeah, like. Yeah, yeah. So, 10 minutes, right. I come back to him, and I go, all right, kid, time to pay up. What's the secret? Right. He won't tell me. Yeah. So I push him around a bit. You're a tough guy. Hey. <laughs> Hey, tougher than anyone here. You know that. <laughs> all, right, know Rocky, that. all right, Rocky. All right, Rocky. Pull it in. You know Pull that, it in, Rocky. Right? But get this. <laughs> yeah. He goes, even Mr. Cameron doesn't know. I can't tell you. I'm like, really, kid? Mr. Cameron doesn't know where he gets his own acts from? A co-presentation of WNYC Studios and Night Vale presents. You are listening to the orbiting human circus of the air. of Wagner's Put No Pork in My Pork Pie Hat, featuring North, the incredible singing saw. And as the earnest hardware saw sings its little heart out, they are listening in the fashionable restaurants beside the Seine. I'm so glad that Gaston put on the radio, darling. You know, everybody's talking about that story the cricket was telling. Cricket, darling? Listening in the bagel bakeries of Brooklyn. Yeah, the craziest thing happened. The cricket's telling our story. The crazy bird they got playing the music swoops down and attacks the cricket. Just like that? Just like that. Listening in the taxi cabs of Leningrad. And at the switchboards of the Perpetual Broadcasting Corporation itself. They are listening. Hello, Perpetual Broadcasting Corporation. We're sorry, still no news on the cricket. Oh, Perpetual Broadcasting Corporation. I'm very sorry, sir. No, Perpetual Broadcasting Corporation. Yes, Yet beside the stage, we see our host John Cameron in the final throes of exhaustion, and the janitor himself standing despondently beside him. And what's this? In the janitor's hands. A cricket-sized casket, carefully made out of toothpicks lined with cotton balls? But what's happened? We take you back to 4 a.m. this morning. The janitor wanders the empty passageways of the Eiffel Tower, desperately in search of the cricket. Please, cricket, where are you? Cricket. Suddenly, he hears footsteps. And (gasps) bumps into host John Cameron, who... His normally immaculate suit, dirty and crumpled, staggers dangerously close to the tower's outer railing. Oh, it's you. Mr. Cameron, what are you doing here? It's late. I'm trying to find the cricket you lost. So sorry. I thought I locked the cage. I didn't know the orchestral was going to get out. Do you know what I had to do earlier? Pump the orchestral stomach. Cricket wasn't in there. Oh, my God. 
Why did I even trust you? What's happened to my life? What are these acts? I have no idea where they come from. Everybody wants to know if they're real. I have no idea. Maybe none of this is real. Maybe I'm just having a psychotic break. The janitor's eyes widen. That's what happens when you base your life on lies. When you take credit for something you don't deserve. There wasn't even an act today at the show. I mean, this is the first time it's ever happened to me. I looked everywhere. There was always something waiting for me. There was nothing. Everybody would know the truth. Then I saw you, you and the cricket. I thought, my God, an act. I've been saved. Saved. <laughs> I'm ruined. But I want to help you. Help me. Don't you understand? You're the janitor. You're not part of the show. I'll find the cricket. Don't you ever come near me or my show again. I know how you find the axe. Push me off the tower. Just push me. I'll just stand right here by the edge with my eyes closed. It's okay, Mr. Cameron. Horrified by his words' effect, the janitor tentatively puts a hand on John Cameron's shoulder. I mean, I mean, I know how anyone can find acts like that. What? How? Well, it's all about how you look at things. Like, take the tap dancing mouse, for instance. Yes, yes. If you see a mouse, and, and, you, and you look at it like you want to hit it with a broom, or you're scared it has diseases, it'll just run away from you. But if you love it, and you keep really still, it'll come right up to you. How else are you going to find out if a mouse can tap dance? You know, it's good that you can live and work independently. Thank you. Get away from me! Get away! Holding back tears, the janitor continues to search, but it's hopeless. Finding one lost cricket in the hole of the Eiffel Tower? He studies every inch of the floor, examining every piece of lint growing more and more depressed. Please, please, come on, come on. Sunrise. The morning mail is delivered at the base of the Eiffel Tower. John Cameron sleeps, draped over an observatory telescope on the top observation deck. Suddenly, he is startled. Mr. Cameron, Cameron, there he is, over there, by the boxes. I chased him down here. What? The cricket, over there on the floor. I'd given up, and there he was. The cricket? You're sure that's the one? Yes. How? I saw him shaking his fist at the orchestral. Thank God. Mr. Cameron. Oh, hello, Jacques. You'll never believe it. A hundred bags of mail just arrived. They're all about that cricket. I bet he's just about the most famous cricket on the earth. Yes, I imagine he is, Jacques. No, here's the crane with the lettuce. Hey, you want the mail over here, right? Wait, no, no. The cricket! No, no. No! All leading to the present moment where our host, John Cameron, stands holding the tiny toothpick casket, glancing woefully from it to a large group of thespians, costumed seemingly to perform William Shakespeare's immortal Macbeth? That was the Orbiting Human Circus Orchestral featuring North, the singing saw. Ladies and gentlemen, I know many of you are here tonight in the hopes of seeing a certain cricket. Where's the cricket? Bring out the cricket! However... Cricket! However, it is important to remember in times like these with our flashy modern entertainments like tap dancing, mice, singing saws, and yes, storytelling crickets, it's important to do honor to the high art that is the genesis of all that graces the modern stage, 
the immortal classics, ladies and gentlemen, that paved the way for the superficial diversions of the now. We present to you our performance of Shakespeare's Scottish play. Yes, well, please do put your hands together for a play which is sure to turn your laughter into tears. We give you Macbeth! Macbeth, ladies and gentlemen, Macbeth! When shall we three meet again? But in the audience, they are not listening. The word cricket whispered in chorus throughout the house. And in the fancy cafes beside the Seine, they are not listening. Well, with all this build-up, I'm simply not going to enjoy my dinner if they don't find that cricket. Don't be so demanding, Lilith. In the stagehand's lounge behind the broadcast ballroom, they are not listening. Okay, if they riot Pierre, I need you stage left, Jacques, I need you stage right, and I will shield Jean. Yep, Miss Saltier, yeah. And even in his seat beside the stage, John Cameron, our host, is not listening. He slumps despondently in his chair beside the stage. His eyelids growing heavy, he drifts and drifts. Let's see if there shall be done a deed of dreadful note. What's to be done? Uh, I've, I've done the deed. Did, didst thou not hear a noise? But what's this? Like the Doberman pincher of showmanship he is, John snaps to attention. What was Lady Macbeth saying? These parts full of pastries are greedy, greedy, greedy. And why was she straddling a mechanical bull? What was this? Some horrid modernist deconstruction? Good Lord, not on his watch. You'll be the first to blink. I've crazy glued my eyelids, so not me. Because I've crazy glued my eyelids. I've crazy glued my eyelids! Woo! Blate like a sheep! And hang twigs my But why was Lady Macbeth suddenly being played by his aged and annoying Aunt Helga? Disagravy and wash the preening giraffe from your nostrils. Those aren't the lines. And God. Macbeth himself. That's Morty the mechanic from the garage down the block, and he's smacking a newborn baby? But I robbed to kiss a whale. So white, so white. To kiss it and give it ice cream, of course. But all I have are pastries. Greedy, greedy pastries. Give me your mustache. And at last, the dream grows peaceful. And John relaxes and watches tiny Macbeth bubbles drift all around his weary head. Suddenly, a tap on his shoulder. Mr. Cameron, wake Ah. up! Wake up! What? John Cameron awakes in his seat beside the stage, on which he hears Macbeth being played correctly, to find the janitor yelling and gesticulating wildly. The cricket! I was all about to bury him, and, and the top of the casket opened, and he sat up and started chirping. He's right here, in my hand. Look. What? Listen, I brought you the machine. He'll tell you himself. Oh, Mr. Cameron, when I saw all of those beautiful letters all of those nice people wrote, I fainted dead away. My God! But then I came too, in the beautiful bird-proof bed you made for me, out of toothpicks lined with cotton balls. It was the nicest thing anybody has ever done for me. No. Well... Thank you, thank you, thank you. I have not slept so securely in a very long time. My God, it's a miracle. A modern radio miracle. John Cameron hugs the janitor. Oh. And he hugs the little cricket. 
one thing I must ask you. When the radio broadcast is over, may I keep the bird-proof bed? With the compliments of the Perpetual Broadcasting Corporation. Oh, thank you. John Cameron turns and rushes onto the stage where Macbeth continues. Tomorrow and tomorrow. And tonight, we bring you a small soul who needs little introduction. That's right. Put him down and turn on the machine, Julius. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And so the cricket begins to tell the shocking conclusion of the story the whole world was waiting for. That of Ladislaw, genius clockmaker who realized that clocks run more accurately counterclockwise, but whose clocks no one wanted. Who, hungry and broke, could not work for the noise of the poor children upstairs constantly begging their parents for dolls and who found himself suddenly making from scraps two dolls, which he gave the children to their absolute delight. And as soon as this act of kindness was done, it seemed as though a miracle happened. His counterclockwise clock suddenly became popular. As a joke, it broke his heart, and he smashed his clocks and closed up his shop and never came out. But then... Months later, the shutters on his windows suddenly went up, revealing a wondrous doll shop. His dolls spread all over Bucharest, until one day he disappeared. Because this is what he had done. On every doll was hidden a tiny catch beneath a layer of varnish that would rub off in a year's time. This catch, once exposed, would trigger when bumped causing the doll's facial expression to change forever to a look of such hatred, such hideous pain and bile, it would give the children of Bucharest nightmares to last a lifetime. And what happened? I give you our cricket on the air. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. When brutally attacked, I was telling the story of Ladislaw Kovskovsky. He has filled all Bucharest with his horrible dolls, and so he has to run away before the first catch is sprung. He flees to Paris. He turns to alcohol. He ends up on the street. Here, at last, Ladislaw feels he belongs. At least, he thinks, a man who had done what he has done deserves to be frozen, deserves to die slowly, and here, at last, he would. But he does not die. Quickly or slowly. His constitution proves surprisingly robust. And so he lives. Wishing to die nearly every moment, Ladislaw lives and lives. And then, one night, he has a dream. He is with a little girl. And that little girl is his. The little girl looks up at him with a look of love such as no one has given him in all his life. Its feeling fills all his soul. He is happy. But then he realizes the little girl is holding one of his dolls. 
He sees the face hasn't changed yet. But the varnish, it's rubbed away. The catch, it will spring any moment. He struggles madly to take it from her, but cannot reach it, as if space and time become quicksand. And then it happens. He hears the catch strike. His heart runs cold. He turns his eyes to the doll. But the doll's face has not switched. The girl's has. And her face has switched to such a to such an inhuman mask of pure hatred. Ladislaw's hatred. Terrifying cruelty. Ladislaw's cruelty. He feels as if everything he has ever loved in the world has been snatched away from him, never to be given back. All goes cold. So cold. Ladislaw wakes up in the act of vomiting and lets loose a scream of such horror. It is heard that night on both banks of the river Seine. He walks the Paris streets that night like a ghost, feels apart from all things on the earth. He wants to be beaten, to be punished. He wants to return to Romania and take all of the abuse that would come, be sent to prison and be hated by everyone, grown-ups and children alike, for what he really is. He sets out, as if in a trance, on the journey home. When he reaches Bucharest, he expects a massive outcry. He makes it all the way across the city, and no one noticed. At last arriving at the first house whose children he had given his horrid dolls. He wants to cry. Like a child, he is terrified. So afraid. The time has come. He reaches the door. He manages to knock much too loud. The turning of the doorknob from within. The creaking of the hinges. The opening of the door. And then the face peering out at him. It was the mother. And then the look upon her face. Horror. Ladislav Kovskovsky. My God. What's become of you? In her voice. Warmth. Concern. Come in. My God. Come in. She takes his hand, leads him inside. My dear, it's Ladislav Koskovsky. Ladislav Koskovsky? The man answers in shock. Here. They sit him down, bring him water, and then their little girl appears. Look, Romika, it's Ladislav, the man who made your dolly. I know who he is, Mummy. Everybody does. Ladislaw looks at the doll clutched in the little girl's fingers and sees the doll's sweet face, and it's just as it was, unchanged. But he can see the varnish has rubbed off and the tiny catch exposed, waiting to trigger. The girl looks to him so like the girl in his dream. Panicked, he reaches for the doll, but unlike his dream, he is able to touch the doll. He pulls it from the little hand so hard that the doll smacks against the table. Expecting it to trigger, he buries the doll in his chest to shield the girl from its change. But still, he hears no click. The face did not change. Amazed, he bangs the doll on the floor twice more just to see. Still, it does not open. And as he looked at it, feverishly, madly, he realized this catch would not open. Could not open. It was at least a sixteenth of a centimeter too long. Too big for its opening. It could never be struck. They give him food and a bath. Ladislaw could barely talk. 
His mind is swimming. He stumbles out of their house. And he brings himself to the next house. In house after house, he finds the same reaction, the same treatment. The catches had not opened. They'd all been made too long. Each and every last one. In each house, he is given a hero's welcome. The children look at him with reverence, and the parents treat him as an honored member of their family. He finds that in Romania, he is considered a great man. His dolls are national treasure, but one to be played with, to be passed down from generation to generation. It was by this measure that he mocked the time of childhood for an entire country. So, what had Ladislaw Kovskovsky done? He had not brought nightmares to the children of Romania. He was a man who, late for an important appointment, loses his keys and searches for them madly when all the time they were right there in front of his nose. How often in those cases is the appointment not one on which we really wish to go? It is said that in Ladislaw Koskowski's time, all children in Romania were his children. His dolls outliving him in their hundreds, and buried deep inside some, gone forever, and smothered by a visage of love, was all the pain and frustration of a man who had been a great failure, hurt and rejected, with no idea at all of the hero he would become. Broadcasting from the top of the Eiffel Tower, the orbiting human circus of the air. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Well, that's it for this week, ladies and gentlemen. I'm John Cameron. And I'm... Shh. Broadcasting from the top of the Eiffel Tower, the Orbiting Human Circus wishes you a good night. The Orbiting Human Circus of the Air is a co-presentation of WNYC Studios and Night Vale Presents.
Episode 3 featured Drew Callender, John Cameron Mitchell, Tim Robbins, Susanna Flood, Dan Solomon, Charlie Day, Mary Elizabeth Ellis, Cecil Baldwin, Meg Bashwinner, Julian Coster, Ron Berman, Jesse Shelton, David Barlow, Eric Lochtfeld, Becky Lauer, Chaim Wolf, and the Alicia Spiegel's Klezmer Ensemble, featuring Evan Harlan, Julian's uncle, on accordion, and North the Singing Saw. The Orbiting Human Circus is written, created, and co-directed by Julian Coster. It was co-directed by and developed with Ellie Heyman and produced by Christy Gressman, with musical composition and arrangement by Thomas Hughes and songs by The Music Tapes, and editing by Grant Stewart, sound design by Eric Slater, recording engineer Vincent Cascione, and associate producer Robbie Cucciaro. The songs from this season are available on the Orbiting Human Circus EP by The Music Tapes on Merge Records. For full credits and to learn more about the Orbiting Human Circus, come visit us at orbitinghumancircus.com and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.